0: Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18. As you're turning there, let me encourage you to keep your Bibles open for the next few minutes. I want to share a word with you uh, from this particular passage, and uh, for titling's sake, I will just title it The Doctrine of the Church. You say, why that title? Well, for the last three weeks, we've been doing a doctrinal study, not on every doctrine, but we have taken two or three of those each week, Brother Daniel and Brother Clint. They have uh, they have had some things recorded. You can find them on YouTube. Likewise, they've provided some uh, study sheets as well, and you'll be able to download those and fill them out and find great uh, resources. Well, the first week we looked at... Uh, the Doctrine of Creation, and the Bible. We went to John chapter 1, John's Gospel, and we were able to see uh, not only the incarnate Word, but we were able to see focus on the written Word as well. Uh, The second Sunday, which was last week, we looked at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We went to Ephesians chapter 1, and you could see in Ephesians chapter 1 God the Father's work for you, in choosing you before the foundation of the world. God the Son's work in you when He died uh, to pay sin's penalty, and His blood cleanses us from all sin, and the Holy Spirit of God, we're told in that same passage, seals us until that day of redemption. Well this week they have recorded a lesson on the doctrine of the church, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And because it would be way too lengthy to teach on those three subjects, I have personally chosen, by the aid of the Spirit there, to focus on the doctrine of the church. Uh, Maybe some would feel more uh, entitled, or might you feel better if we were to title it the mission of the church. So the doctrine is something that is taught or a body of teachings. Now, if you've been in the Christian church for any length of time, What you realize there is that everybody believes something, okay? Now you may not like the word doctrine, it doesn't really draw great crowds, but I'm so grateful that the Lord gives us these solid teachings that the entire church would have in common. But then uh, the mission comes along with what He gives us there doctrinally. Now I'm going to read verses 13 through verse 18, but then make mention of some of these other verses as we follow along. So in Matthew 16, verse 13, the Scripture said, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremias, or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because art Jesus saith unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon bar For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And in verse 18 he said, I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When we think about doctrine again, and we think about the church, let me remind you that the church is a people and not a place. We uh, Christians, let me just say that, we are commonly inviting people to go to church. Well, I I like that you're involved with us in inviting people to church. Matter of fact, we might even invite people to our church. And you know what, I like that you have identification with the church, but we want to speak to the fact today that the church is a people and not a place, okay? Yes, this building we've set aside for worship, we've set aside for teaching, and as a result of that, we the church gather here, and as we gather here, we pray that it is for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry, but also the church is a body, as I've just said, and not a building. Uh, I, uh, like many of you, uh, have been in church literally all of my life. You say, well, you ought to be had enough of it. Well, not really. I'm not through yet, okay? However, as I take my time and try to lead you, I want you to grasp the reality of the fact that a church is... uh, a people and not a place and a body and not a building, and we could use many other explanations there if we would so choose. In Mark's gospel, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, it said, Jesus there went to Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day He entered into the synagogue and taught. And there were many astonished at His doctrine. You might say they were many astonished at His teaching. Uh, therefore He taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus brought to the religious community a not a set of rules, but Jesus brought uh, there's some principles that would guide their lives. And the scripture tells us that the people there would look and listen to what he was teaching, what we would consider some doctrinal truths that we even would hold on to to this day. And they would then be confounded or they would come confused there because they had never heard it. Uh, on that fashion, the Scripture would tell us. Now this morning, real quickly, I want to share with you a few things uh, uh, about the church, okay? And when I say the church, I'm talking about the church everywhere. I'm talking about the universal church, the church across the entire globe. I'm not talking about a building of people. I'm not talking about the local church per se, but we want to just see what is it that is universally uh, unique about the church. And I begin by speaking to you about the ownership of the church, okay? The scripture said in Jesus speaking in uh, verse 18, in the first part of that verse, uh, He said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, again, as I introduced this subject a few minutes ago, uh, we call it our church. I'm all right with that as long as we don't take that literally, okay? Now, the scripture said in Acts 20 and verse 28, as Paul now was uh, leading them, he said, take heed there. He's speaking to the elders or those in authority. He said, uh, uh, take heed therefore unto yourselves and the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. He said, feed the church of God which he, being Jesus, has purchased with his own blood. Now, when I think on that term there, uh, I remind you, uh, I've told you quite often that, uh, you know, I've literally or practically given about all of our life to the church, over two-thirds of it in ministry. And you say, boy, you ought to be had enough of it by now. Again, I'm not through yet, Okay. But the Scripture tells us there that Jesus didn't give His life to the church. Uh, Literally, He gave His life for the church, okay? Now, when I think on that term there, uh, we need to see that in that verse. He purchased it with His own blood. Yes, uh, if you were to try to look up the legal documents of Second Baptist Church way across Georgia, what you would find there on the legal documents registered in the state of Georgia, it would probably say something like this: "The Second Baptist Church of Ware County." Uh, why? Because that's the legal description of where we are now. Somewhere back in the early 1800s, practically 1803 or 1903, I'm sorry. What the church there became a mission off of First Baptist Church Way Cross, 1905 constituted as a church, uh, what, 1988 or 9, you moved over on this uh, side of town, you know, uh, you, still beca- you still were the church you were on the other side. See, the church is a people, not a place. So with that in mind, uh, we need to just settle sometimes the ownership principle, okay? And Jesus said it well. He says there that I will build my church. And then Paul emphasized that there to the people after that missionary journey when he would go back across the places he had been and he would speak to the people at Ephesus. He said, I I'm, have some concern about you as Paul would teach them about what might happen to the church later. But he said Jesus purchased it with His own blood. Friend, let me tell you, it matters not about the local place you worship. If you are a part of the Christian church, Jesus owns it. You, you know documentation might have your name listed there, it might list uh, charter members, it might list, you know, the ruling authorities, but uh, to Jesus He gave His life. And that's why we worship Him, He is worthy even of our praise. We are not a, uh, the convention. We are not the association, we are not owned by pastors or deacons, we are owned by the Lord. And Listen, church, when we keep that in our minds, what happens is there is a lot less schisms in the body. There is a lot less agitation because we realize that none of us own the place, and matter of fact, we don't own the people either, and I think that is well to be noted there. Jesus said, I will build my church. Second thing, not only the ownership of the church, but let's think about the occupants of the church, okay? He looked at Peter that day, and you remember Jesus wanted them to acknowledge who they thought he was, or who they knew him as. And the scripture tells us that Peter, like usual, will be one of the ones who is first to speak, okay? That's not bad. Maybe you're that outgoing one. Maybe you're the one that always uh, raises your hand first. Or sometimes, like me, you just uh, speak it without raising your hand. Peter said, Peter said, notice there, uh, he said, Thou art the Christ. And in other places, all through the scripture, we can find that stated as well. Others were saying, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, others say you're Jeremiah, but Jesus said, Who am I according to you? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Peter's the name that's referenced here, is he not? It's not that uh, one of the others might have spoken, it's not that Jesus is trying to Uh, maybe highlight Peter here. But he simply, because of Peter's acknowledgement, he said uh, there that he said, I'm going to build my church. Now, as I focus on that, the occupants of the church uh, should be born-again believers. Amen? We should be saved. I remember some Wednesday nights years ago, probably ten years ago, I I was teaching similarly, and uh, in that particular evening we talked about I remember the text there and we talked about being a uh, family there who were born again and There was a young couple sitting in there, uh, and they were questioning later after that, what does it mean to be born again? Well, saved. Your sins are forgiven. You've acknowledged your sin to the Lord privately. You acknowledge your faith even publicly, not just simply at an altar, but you acknowledge that everywhere you go and in the life that you live. So the occupants of the church, similar might I say to Peter, are those people in Christ who have been born again. And, you know, we become new people when we're born again. We turn the managing of our lives over from self to the Savior. And therefore, we also begin to follow that book. I call it a new menu. God gives us instruction there on how to live. And matter of fact, things that used to motivate us are unimportant now. And our motivation then becomes... Obeying and following the will of God for our lives. Folks, let me just encourage you to know that Jesus is fully in charge of the church and He owns it, and I'm all right with that. I do not. I might be giving you 23 years of our lives, but hey, we know one thing that it belongs to Jesus. Secondly, I'm just one of the occupants of the body of Christ, and every one of you have been born again, so likewise are you. And it is a great joy to be known to, as a son of God, as a child of God, and to likewise be faithful in the worship of God. Some years ago, I was in a pulpit somewhere in the South. I remember preaching in a revival uh, meeting. It was one of them one-night things, and uh, I, I was talking about the family of God. and you know, I, I likened it to taters, and that's potatoes, for some of y'all, but I call them taters, okay? Uh, But anyway, I said, you know, the church sometimes is like the tater family. There's some agitators and instigators. There are also some complicators and some initiators. It actually happened. There was a fellow on about the third row on the left side. He raised his hand. He said, Preacher, at our church, there's a lot of sweet taters. That's good. Because, you know, about everybody can be a sweet tater but let's just don't be sweet this week and sour next week. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I remember that to this day. That fellow's gone on to be with Jesus, but I'll always remember him helping me out to remind me not to just take that in a negative fashion, but to use that in a positive way. Folks, I do commend you still. We have had very little agitation very few times of instigation, very little complicating things in 23 years. And hey, when the people of God understands that we're just one of the occupants of the church that belongs to the living God, I'll tell you what, we can do the Lord's business then. And COVID is gone in many perspectives. It's not gone totally. But it's time the church stands back up and becomes the people that God's intended for us to be. Thirdly, I want to remind you about the oppression of the church. Notice when he said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus knew full well the work of the enemy. If you're not familiar with that, go home today and read how the enemy would even come against the God-man, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4. Now, I gather from that, if he will do what he attempted to do with the God-man, imagine what he can even do to the lives of godly men. Now, I pray you're not tall enough and and maybe you're not mature enough to think that you're beyond Satan attacking you and therefore concluding that you have it all together. For let me tell you, Satan is still the deceiver as he was in the beginning. Satan will likewise divide continuously as he did from the beginning. Satan's desire is to destroy like he did in the beginning. Now we know the battle that Jesus had with him, and Jesus would take those scriptures. You know, have you noticed the God-Man quoted scripture? In that battle, Jesus victorious. You say, well, he had to be victorious. He is omnipotent. He's victorious because he was the Son of God. But as the as the Son of God, as the God-Man, he still was man, and therefore he concluded that the greatest artillery when fighting the enemy, Satan, the adversary, is the word of God. Again, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. didn't say that it wouldn't come up against it. Why else would Paul tell us to put on the whole armor of God? We need to recognize, and we don't, we don't try to idolize the enemy. We don't need to be constantly looking out every corner for him. For as a result of that, we would never be busy about the Father's business. But we need to know that the oppression of the church comes from without. That's not within the body of Christ. It comes from without. That's Satan. But also, it can come from within. That's the saints as well. Many of you probably had the fortune to be uh, members at some time or another of a perfect church. I don't want the t- I don't want the name of it. I don't want the address. Because if I went there, I'd mess it up some way. There's no perfect churches. I find sometimes when people leave a church that they greatly love, that they go wherever they move to, they try to find a church just like that one because they think, oh man, that was the perfect church for me. Folks, sometimes there's not even similar churches. But yet we're owned by the Lord, we're one of the occupants. We recognize the oppression. And then, fourthly, as we think about that, we remember the opportunity. The opportunity. Now, if you go home and you look up the word opportunity, you look it up in your dictionary, you take your thesaurus, and you say, Well, now, hey, I don't see all of that in here. Well, notice what he said in verse 19. He says there, As I read, he said, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I have a lot of keys. Uh, Seriously, my wife always reminds me when I get my truck keys and when she might be driving my truck and I drive her car, she said, these keys are going to tear up your ignition switch. Well, they haven't yet. But I do agree, there's a lot of keys. But that second set of keys that goes in my left pocket, they're even more. And you say, what do they all go to? Something. Daniel asked me the other day to unlock a door. I knew what type of key it was, so I took that key that set out of my left pocket, and I started with every one that was similar. And you know, a quick set lock. They all similar. You know where I got to when I finally found the one? I got all the way around to where I started from, and that was the key that was, the last one. If I'd only knew to go the other way, you know sometimes I live life that way. You know, we don't always see opportunity. This morning, in the small group I was teaching, we were talking about uh, living the gospel. And you know, as a result of that, there are sometimes seasons in our life, or there are even windows of opportunity. you know, the Lord gives us that as well. He says there, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I'll give you the keys. Someone said, and I can't remember who to give credit for this, but said, keys are not a way that men are to get His will done in heaven, but it is a means whereby God's will is done on earth. Darrell Robinson wrote a book called Total Church Life. Some of the chapters or divisions in that book are listed there on that PowerPoint slide. He, he, he alluded to the message where we exalt Christ. He alluded to the motives, uh, therefore we need to be busy about evangelizing sinners, the methods uh, Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, the ministers. You remember Paul got concerned about even the ministers in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, why some said, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And, and you know, he took time there to explain that who are we? Darrell Robinson, in writing of that book, would even talk about music. Have you noticed how an opportunity can also be, not just an opportunity for God's will to be done on earth, but can be also an opportunity for the devil to divide the body of Christ. You say, which one do you think he divides us best with any of them? When we get focused on them and we get critical of them, and the reason being said there is we can lose our sense of position and place there. Do you know from the day that Jesus preached and taught the early church in the book of Acts, You know what their message was? You remember what Peter preached at Pentecost? He preached Jesus. Not only did he preach Jesus, he reminded them of the methods and the motives. Yesterday afternoon at the wedding reception, there was an elderly gentleman came up to me. Now you say, what is elderly? Because some of you will know if you are or not, right? He was 84, You say, that's not elderly. Well, consider yourself 65. That's 19 more years. Anyway, he came up to me. shook. He put his big hand in mine. Somebody was standing beside me. Was it one of you in here today? But anyway, he put his big hand in mine, and he said, I used to work with Georgia Power Company about 40 years. And some would say, hey, you got a good retirement in your back pocket. But he told me about the time that he told of how... He had X number of voltage, volts, that moved through his body, but yet he survived it. He said, there's no reason I should be alive. But he went on and he talked. And you know, I know a little bit about electricity. If the plug's not plugged in, don't expect the fan to turn around. But this guy, man, he, he literally, honestly, eighty, I think four years old, and he was exalting Jesus through that. And he said, there's numerous times in my life every day where I'm in places with people or whether I'm by myself. He said, I'm thankful to tell Jesus I love him. He said, I just tell him that numerous times every day. You know, friend, I think that's one of the opportunities that you and I need to cease. And we need to grasp because, hey, when we keep lifting up Jesus, the opportunity becomes even greater among us and around us. Isn't it amazing how this little passage can say so much? can remind us about the ownership of the church. We have no charter members living. You say, well, what are you saying by that? You know, they're... Our churches that sometimes the charter members think that they should have all the say, and I'm not. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying we have no charter members, so we've jumped that hurdle. They died many years ago. Unless there's one here that's 116, I reckon you could be considered that. So with that in mind, we've the ownership. The deacons don't see themselves as owners. The pastor don't see himself as owners. The staff's not an owner. You, Jesus, owns it, and you and I are the under-shepherds. But then there's the occupants of which Paul was one, Peter, one, etc. Oppression and opportunity. Think about the outreach of the gospel in verse 20. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was the Christ. You know, that always gives me a fit when I read that. Because everywhere else almost, it tells us to lift Him up, tell about Him. But in this place, He tells don't tell nobody. Now what usually happens when you're told not to do something? Mm-hmm. Some of you wanted to say it, didn't you? You want to do it worse. Let me tell you why I believe Jesus said that. Because if you read John's Gospels, there's quite a few times when He would or John would write when he would say, My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And the time that he's speaking about is the reason for which he was born, which was to die to pay sin's penalty. Some have thought that when Jesus fed the 5,000 with the loaves and fishes the little fellow brought to the picnic, some have said that that was the peak of Jesus' popularity. You remember he sends the disciples over uh, to the other side and meets them on the other side, and you know it's amazing how the crowd got over there before the disciples did. Many would have crowned him if they could have, but it wasn't Jesus' time. And as a result of that, he tells us in Acts one eight after his time he said, "Be witnesses." Acts 1.8, he said, "Tear you here in Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. Earth. Now, our first responsibility is our community. You say, well, where's our second responsibility? In our counties, our state, our nation. But then our responsibility is also to the nations. Can we do it all? No, but we can participate with those who are. And I pray we'll be more faithful in that as well. What is our obligation to the church? Verse 21, from that time forth begin Jesus to show His disciples how He'll go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed, rise again the third day. Then's when Peter says something. He rebukes Jesus, and he said, Be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. Again, the same Peter who would stand there and say, Thou art the Christ, is now saying, That's not going to happen. We'll see to it, that you're not going to die. They're not going to take your life. Now when I think about the obligation of or to the church, we need to be willing to participate with God in His work. Henry Blackaby, who wrote, Knowing and Doing the Will of God, said, Why don't you just join God in the work that He's doing in the place that you're serving? That's my paraphrase. Did you know every church member, every, not every church member, every Christian, has been endowed with a gift, a spiritual gift, and it needs to be used to the gift of God's glory or to God's glory? Brother Mike mentioned the young ladies making the music yesterday. And you know, it was beautiful. The piano, the cello, I think I said that right. sounds like jello, but it's, I didn't say that. Violin, beautiful, beautiful. You know, as I've heard that with all three of them, if I were to go somewhere where they were just the two of them, I'd wonder, well, what happened to the other instrumentalists? And if you're not using your gift in the church or in the community, what's happening is the Lord's not getting all the praise and glory He deserves because you're not using your gift, and therefore it's not a complete message that's being sounded forth. Use your gift. I close with this last thought, the outcome of the church. Some people say that the church is growing less important. Some say that the church is down and it will sooner or later be out. Well, it might happen to some local assemblies. But the reality is, he, he doesn't say the church is down and out. He literally, through Scripture, we're reminded that the church will be up and out. You say, well, I don't know how these people stay up all the time. Well, hey, stay close to Jesus. But the reality is this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. If you go home and read it today, you learn that Jesus is coming back. Folks, that's exciting, ain't it? Isn't it? Pardon my English. That's exciting. Because He told them in Acts 1 He was coming back. He might not say it right here in this text. Well, He does. He said, shall even rise again. Now, friend, let me encourage you. Forget that I've preached to you on the doctrine of the church. And the reason I say that is because I've just tried to lift up Jesus. I've tried to lift up who owns the church. And Jesus is worthy of our praise. Would you bow your heads? Song of invitation, time of commitment. You may be here and you've never... Receive Christ as Lord and Savior. What a great opportunity to acknowledge your sin, your being a sinner. And that then brings you to the fact of who's going to pay for your sin, you or Him. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. I tell you what to do with your sin. Confess it to him privately. Confess your faith in him publicly. Father, thank you so much. Lord, in all of my goodness, it's nothing but filthy rags. But Lord, thank you for grace, mercy, truth. God, search the hearts of all men, women. Might they know today? of Your love for them and Your care to call them unto Yourself. Lord, we've tried to lift up Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And I pray today that, Lord, in the latter days and years of my life, I'll stay faithful to the calling and exalting Jesus. And we do that many times through the local church. Bless now. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Michael, lead us in a song of invitation.